Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creatives of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, we chat with writer-director Prentice Penny and actor Mamadou Ache about the Netflix original film Uncorked. Uncorked is about a young man who feels torn between his dream of becoming a master sommelier and his father's expectations that he will take over the family barbecue business. Uncorked is currently streaming on Netflix. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining the Spectrum Lounge. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I got, yeah, I loved this movie. I, I had already seen the trailer, so I was really excited because I was like, Black people in wine, we hardly see that <laughs> on screen. Um, so P- Prentice, can you tell us how you came up with this this concept for Uncorked? Yeah, I mean, originally it stemmed from, you know, wanting to write originally about a father-son story because I became a father and it made me want to look at, uh, you know, it made me see my father differently than how I had seen him as just a child, but now as an adult and as a parent. And I often feel like Black father-son stories and movies typically always get reduced to the crux of their conflict is always about like the father being absent. And that just wasn't like my life and like a lot of friends of my lives. And um, I felt like sometimes the white father son stories, like those kind of dynamics, like Goodwill Hunting or Manchester by the Sea are kind of just very slice of life. They're just kind of regular and basic and they just had issues as people. And so to me, I went to just see that reflected as just black male humanity reflected in a way that I just wasn't typically seeing it. So Knowing that I wanted to do, to, to do that, and I was kind of basing it on my father and myself's relationships, where my father ran a furniture store that my grandfather started, and I was set to do the same thing, and I wanted to be a writer, and but I knew I didn't want to set it in the world of furniture stores and writing because nobody wants to watch a movie about furniture stores and somebody sitting on a computer <laughs> writing. So I want, I still like the idea of like a family-run business, and so something about food became really interesting to me. I had friends of mine that had family-run restaurants, and also I feel like. You know, a lot of times the the lessons I learned from my father, and I feel like this is typical of the black men at barbecues that, you know, cooking around fire is like very caveman. It's very primal, you know, especially for men. It just kind of gets reduced at its core. It's about sitting around fire with like talking. And I feel like a lot of times the lessons my dad and the lessons even from friends of mine, that it'll just happen around the barbecue pit. Like my dad never sat me down and was like, all right, son, here's here's how life works. It was always like we're barbecuing and he'll just like drop some gem on me. I didn't know. And, and I just thought, oh, that's an interesting thing. It's very communal. And so once I had that, I was trying to find an area for the sun. And I was sort of circling areas. I knew I wanted to be an area that kind of felt a little bit more white collar, a little bit more like artistic or creative in some way. Uh, something the father kind of couldn't wrap his head around. Like, how are you going to make money doing this? Like, I know when I first started writing, my father didn't fully understand how I was going to do what I was going to do. Like, at the time, it was just like Spike Lee. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like now where you can point to like Issa, you know, Lena Waithe or Donald Glover or Chandra Rons and all these show, you know, all these people that do with, who do this now, you know. And um, but I took a trip. So I knew I wanted to be in, in a sort of a world that kind of felt creative or airy or fairy and whatever. So I went on a trip to Paris. I had never been to Europe for my cousin's wedding. And I didn't even drink wine before the movie. And uh, I was like, but, you know, it's very intimidating. And I was like, but if it's ever going to happen, it has to happen. And like, if I don't like wine in Paris, it's like, I'm just not going to like it. It's like, if you go to like New Orleans and you don't like gumbo in New Orleans, you just don't like gumbo. It's just not going to happen <laughs> for you. And uh, and I took a wine class and the guy just made it super easy to understand 
what I was reading on a label and what the regions meant. And he just kind of made it not super intimidating. And I just got really into it. And then I watched a bunch of documentaries and I was like, oh, this is the world the Sun should want to be in, like being a song. Like this is this is a really interesting and creative world. I haven't really seen this before. And that's really how, how I landed on it. Right. So how long did it take you to, to write the script? So I started, uh, I would say like, a, I started writing it that, that trip. Um, and it took me, I mean, I want to say, but I would say, I mean, it, 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 like, I think, I mean, every, every draft is different. I would say that the time, it, the time I actually gave it to somebody, but like, okay, here's, here's it for you to read. I would say probably, um, like nine months later where I felt like, okay, the, the draft is in like a good enough shape to show other people. Mm, okay. Um, so when you were create, cre- creating and crafting these characters, did you have any specific actors in mind when wh- while you were writing this script? Um, to be honest, only Nisi to be that to be completely transparent. I mean, I you know, you, you I knew I always wanted the son to be um like like to to find someone that you didn't have a level of attachment. Like I knew I didn't want this uh, Elijah's character to be someone like, oh, I've seen this guy in like fifteen movies. Um, so I, that to me was always more interesting for the father. I didn't really have, I was just using my father as like a base model of kind of how this character was and Elijah in a lot of ways is myself. Um, but for the mom, the mom character was not like my mother at all. And I, and I knew she couldn't be like my mother and my parents had got divorced. So it was very different in many ways, but I had worked with Nisi on another show, a short lived Fox sitcom called Do Not Disturb in like 08. And we just hit it off. And she would just tell me stories about like, like she told me this once, and I always get it wrong. But basically, the the gist is like either her mom or her grandmother was in the hospital, and she just started kind of doing stand up to make her grandmother, her mom, laugh. And 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 I think she had cancer. Again, I could be wrong, but but the but the I got that idea of somebody like that who would be like, who will do whatever they got to do to kind of keep their family together became very interesting to me for the Sylvia character. And I, I just started writing it with Nisi's voice in mind. And so I called her. So I just always use Nisi as like the barometer. And I was like, hey, I wrote this part for you in this movie. Um, like, will you do it? And she was like, yeah, she hadn't even read it. But, I, you know, she wow. was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I work with you. I like you. And, uh, and she did. And, you know, she just was like, like, let me know when you got the money. And, uh, and when we got it, she was like, yeah, I guess I should read it now. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, but that was the only, I, I, you know, and you hear stories like that, you're like, I don't know if that's true, but it was a hundred percent true in this case. She was the the one person that I actually wrote the part for. (laughs) So Francis, um, so Courtney B. Vance and and Niecy Nash play Louis and Sylvia, um, Elijah's parents. And what stood out to me was that they were so believable as a married couple. Like I believed that you know, that they were really together. Um, was it just natural on-screen chemistry or were there any acting exercises that they did to make this relationship feel so so real and grounded? You know, I mean, I think that's just a testament to how good they are. I mean, they hadn't worked, they were, they had worked together before on um, this Robert Altman movie called Cookie's Fortune. That was the first time they had worked together. So they had already had experience, like a great experience kind of working together. So, um, I'm just going to take credit that I just did what Robert Altman does and uh, put myself right. up there with him now as like recognizing his parents. <laughs> but, uh, yes. but um, no, I mean, like, you know, like Nisi is so like welcoming and amazing. And so is Courtney. I mean, he's so unlike the like, Lewis character. He's so warm and just like hugs and 
he's not like Lewis at all, which is so, so interesting. Um, I didn't know right. what he was going to be like when I met him. Uh, I had worked with DC before, obviously. And so, um, but no, they just naturally had that. And that was really special to me because I also wanted to show like the, this older black couple, which I don't typically think you see a lot of on in, in, in movies and TV that they loved each other. Like, I still wanted you to believe like, yo, this couple still gets down in the bedroom. Like, that's important. Like, you yes. have to believe that. Like, and that <laughs> yeah. was important for me that, that you still feel like that they, they love each other. Their, their issues, again, it's just like, one of the things that we, I, I was, I would tell like our department head, I was like, you know, this movie for this family is like happening on like a Tuesday. It's not like a special time of year. It's just a regular ass day. And none of mm-hmm. these things should feel like it's Christmas time or magical or like that's why they're solving their issues because it's Christmas time and that's more important. You know, it's like, no, it's just a Tuesday. And like how we all just have to go through our lives in that way. And so, uh, but, but they were just amazing together and so much fun to watch for sure. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes was, you know, when they're in the bedroom talking and I guess he made a crack at one of her wigs. <laughs> and then when yeah. he tries to like get romantic with her afterwards, she just turns her back and she was like, no, she just shuts him no. down. <laughs> no. You talked about my wig. No. Right. Yeah, no, I think that. Yeah. I mean, that's very I'm married. That is a very real thing that they you could just make this little crack and the thing is going to go popular. It's like, no, she's going to remember that. And uh, that's not going to go down. Um, so Uncorked also has one of my favorite meet cutes um, when Elijah meets his love interest, uh, Tanya, at the wine store that he works at. And there's this great scene where he compares wines to rappers. I think Jay-Z, you compare Jay-Z to a Chardonnay. He's like the granddaddy of wines. Um, Kanye is a Pinot Grigio. He's a white wine with a little bit of spice. And then Drake is a Riesling Chris Clean and kind of um, in his feelings, I was laughing. I was just like, "Okay, this this makes sense. This is a really good comparison." <laughs> how did you come up? How did you come up with that? Uh, well, twofold. I mean, I, I I knew I needed a, and that was one of the first scenes I wrote uh, in the movie. I just because I was like, I don't know, is this? A, I was like, is this too avant garde? Like this, whatever we're talking about, this movie is gonna be too weird. And I was like, I knew I needed a scene that made the that deconstructed wine for the yes. audience in the same way that the guy deconstructed it for me and demystified it, right? It's like, I knew I needed a scene that would like take, because wine can be such a heady subject or feel like, what do I, I don't know anything about this. And I knew I needed to like make the audience be like, okay, I don't have the audience, not, it doesn't have to know anything about wine, but you can understand, if you can understand this, then like you're on board. Like the other stuff, cause it's not a movie about like talking about wine, right? It's not that kind of a movie. Mm. But I didn't. I wanted the audience to not feel intimidated by what we were going to be discussing and showing, and so that became an easy way. And also, I wanted to show the other way, which I think, like as Black people do, we bring ourselves to those things, right? We bring our swag to whatever we're going to do, right? And so, to me, I was like, okay, well, how would Elijah talk? Try to talk to another Black person, just one on one about wine. Like we bring ourselves to things, and so that was important too. That he doesn't try to like talk to her from a place of like, well, it's, it's white and it has like grapes and the grapes were growing. Like, she doesn't know that. Like, she doesn't know that shit. She's just like, you know, I'm a, right. I'm a nurse and I, you know, I'm a, I work in a, in a clinic and I'm just trying to find a good wine. It's like, he just made it super easy to understand. I think that's, that's where it came from. I just wanted the audience to not feel intimidated by what they were going to be watching. So like, I wanted it to, to, for the audience to go like, oh, I don't have to know anything about wine to understand what, what, what's going to be happening in this movie. Like similar to the way that the guy in Paris made it really easy for me to understand. I wanted to do the same thing for the audience. 
And so that became like a way to do that. And also too, like she, she does like the Sasha, I mean, the Tanya character doesn't know anything about wine. So he's just trying to like to relate to her as like black person to black person. Like, oh, here's the way you may understand it. Like, you don't need to know the grapes and this and that. Like, that's just too much to get into. And uh, so I just wanted to see that made it really easy to the audience. And I also think like as people of color, like black people, we bring ourselves to whatever field we go to. And so to me, it was also like, I'm using a black example to explain to you this thing that typically you wouldn't use, but you'll understand because we're black. You know what I mean? And so uh, that was, right. that was, that was important. Oh, great. Great. Um, one of the things that I loved about Lewis and, and Tanya's relationship is that she was this, she was this very supportive girlfriend, but she wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't afraid to tell Lewis, you know, when he was being passive or when he was making excuses about pursuing his dreams. Uh, was her character based on anyone? Uh, did you have any real life Tanya's in, in your life in, in pursuing your career? Oh, yeah, my wife. She's based on my wife 100%. Like, my wife's name is Tasha. Uh-huh. So I just was like, oh, I'm going to call this character Tanya. It wasn't. I didn't even stretch it out. I didn't even try to, like, <laughs> hide it from her. So, no, like, my right, wife was always, right. when, we were, when we were dating and I, I wasn't a writer, I wasn't working professionally yet, she was always like, you know, are you doing everything you can be doing? You know, sometimes I would self-sabotage things in, in some ways and she would just always call me out on that. She just never let me just, she was like, if we're going to, if I'm going to be wasting my time with you, then you better be, you know, doing everything you could do to get there, you know, but a lot of it is here, you know, and so she always, and to this day, still calls me out when I'm not doing enough. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, she is 100% based on my wife. Right. Um, One of the surprising things about Uncork too, is that, you know, I, I came into the movie, you know, expecting like this fun comedy um, about wine and then halfway through the movie it just takes this turn um, you know where we find out about um, Elijah's mother her her cancer reappears and it becomes like this really beautiful story about familial love the the love between mothers and sons and the love between fathers and sons um, how did you see your own relationships with with your parents reflected in this film um yeah I mean I, I think so I think having, I think the thing that gets reflected, honestly, is like the things that are difficult to say, right? And the things you want to say, um, you know, I think like Elijah in the beginning is, has, has a difficult time talking to his father, you know, and he doesn't really know how to connect to him and he's feeling he's going to be judged and um, in a certain way. And I think those were feelings that I felt about my father and our relationship too, was like, I really somebody maybe thought I couldn't be completely honest with him or you know, you don't want to disappoint and, you know, you don't, you, sometimes you want to just, you know, by sin of omission, you want to like not get into it, you know? Um, and so, you know, I think some of that, you know, was, you know, leaning more on my mom at times, but I think like Elijah does and leaning more on that relationship, sometimes having that character do some of your talking for you, you know, um, that, that I, I think that I probably, I'm sure I exhibited uh, with my mother. So, you know, you're pulling from things that are like, you know, behaviors you do, obviously, and then obviously you're trying to like extrapolate, but then how does this character do it too? You know, um, right? So I, so I would say that I would say it, you know, but but I think the tone to me was more important because I was like nothing. I just wanted to paint like a fully three because I, I I used the movie um, August Osage County as like a reference for like the family scenes. And what I love about that movie is is you would be in a scene in that movie and it would start really dramatic and then 
like family situations do. Something can happen that can make everybody start laughing or scenes can mm-hmm. start really happy and then turn and become really serious because of family members knowing each other. It's like, that's like real life. It's like, you could be somewhere on Thanksgiving or somewhere at Christmas or somewhere, whatever with your family and everything's going good. And just because everybody knows everything about each other, the scene, you know, the moment can turn left and get weird all of a sudden. And so to me, right. that was important to play with tone in the family. Like this, this, I think that's also the thing too, is like black families always have to be either in movies, you know, cheesy and fun all the time, or super mm-hmm. serious all the time. And I was like, nobody's family is fully like that at any given point, <laughs> you know? So, and I think that's not, that, again, to the point of wanting to make a movie that showed us as three-dimensionalized human beings, it has to have those things. It has to have moments that are sad, happy, you know, bit, like bittersweet, and kind of everything in between. Right. So this um, Uncorked is actually your your directorial debut as far as on uh, a movie, a feature film. Um, What was that experiencing experience like transitioning for writing for TV and then actually doing an actual film? What what was that like? And wearing the hats of both writer and director. Yeah, I mean, I think doing, you know, doing a television show is much different in the fact that like, you know, in a television show, you're doing, you know, multiple episodes. So, and you also have to honor the stories that came before the, the, the episode you're directing, right? So, and sometimes, and sometimes you have to honor like the season, you know, you've been on this show four seasons, three seasons, two seasons. So you have a history of, of backdrop to, uh, uh, you know, that you have to honor and respect. And so in some ways in television, you're also mimicking the directing style of what came before it, right? So you're like trying to make a copy of that. You can still infuse your own style, but it has to kind of, you can't go off the reservation pretty far. And so, um so to me that is the biggest one of them is the to me the biggest difference like on a movie there's no elijah that you know before and there's no elijah you're going to know after this movie it's that this is it so you can so people are watching people for a moment in time and and they're going to accept whatever it is you did whatever you did and so from a directing standpoint that allows you i think to like take more chances in a lot of ways because there's no visual style you have to honor before or after. It's just the visual style you choose to create for the movie. And so right. for me, that was um, very different and very fun because I could make it be whatever I wanted it to be. And so I just took a lot more chances visually and just le- and was looking at other movies from a more visual standpoint of how do I convey this in a more visual way, right? And not just, mm-hmm. you know, from a, a writing perspective. So that was the biggest transition was just kind of shifting my mind from a writing standpoint to uh, directing a movie and then like letting scenes breathe or, you know, shooting it in silhouette or shooting it all in one take or, you know, what, however it is, you know, I'm going to shoot it all from their, on the, on their backs, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to play with this idea, this concept in this scene. So it just became much more like freeing in a lot of ways that you could kind of create this thing. Cause you know, after it, there's not going to be any other, you know, un- there's not going to be a no court after this. This is it. So it can be really whatever creatively you want it to be. Can you talk to me a little bit about the soundtrack, about cur- curating the soundtrack for Uncorked? Because it's 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 gorgeous. It's it's so good. But like, how did you work on that? Yeah, um, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I knew I always wanted, this was something I knew I, uh, very early on, I wanted you to really feel like, the, uh, one, that you were hearing all Memphis artists. Like, that was very important to me. Because like, anybody can put, like, one, we didn't have the money <laughs> to like, go after, like, big, big hits. But, like, anybody can put, like, you know, meet the, a Hot Migos song in a movie. To me, that's, like, not 
kind of the point. So to me, I also the most important thing was I wanted you to sort of see, I think expected wise, was to see like the wine stuff with like classical music. And I felt like, well, we've seen that before. What would be more interesting? And to me, it was like, well, the movie's kind of about a clash of culture, you know, not just between like barbecue and wine, but there's a clash between the father and the son. There's sort of these mashup of worlds that are kind of colliding. And I just thought, well, that's really interesting. What if like, you know, to me, it's kind of like the salty and the sweet, right? Where you have this sort of sweet wine thing and the music makes it a little salty, right? So it's like, this sort of like, you know, again, like a mashup of, of, of sounds that don't seem like mm-hmm. they kind of go together, but kind of do. Like I wanted you to, uh, to up in the audience right away musically to be like, this is going to be a different kind of movie. You know, there are these right. things that you did. And even in the opening, right, you're like juxtaposing wine with barbecue, but you're seeing how they're similar. And but you're hearing mm-hmm. this Yogati song, you know. And so to me, it was just kind of upending the expectations. Uh, of that and with, and also too like I felt I felt like again like when a lot when Elijah's like what is Elijah listening to when he's not uh you know in class you know to me it's like that's the stuff mm-hmm. he's listening to when he's driving to class that's the stuff he's listening to right before he goes to take the test like that so to me it was like well that's we often bring ourselves to that it's like I just I didn't want it to be like he has to assimilate uh, in a way I like that he has to forget who he is like or be something he's not like that's not the point of the movie either and I felt like yeah like let's bring he's bringing himself to that world and he, a lot of mm-hmm. times black people we bring ourselves to that world unapologetically you know to me it's like no different when like Allen Iverson was rocking cornrows and tattoo when he first got to the NBA he was like I'm still gonna be Allen Iverson and then now right. you don't even think about but he was one of the first people to do that and like you mm-hmm. now, you don't even think about a player having tattoos and cornrows or whatever they, however they rock. You know what I mean? Like back then, it was he wore a suit and da da. And he was rocking gold chains and Jordans, and you know he was just was I'm being me into this world. I'm not gonna not be me. And so to me, that was very important musically that the sound of the movie reflect that too. So he, so we're here, and also too like when he goes to Paris, that he's trying to like expand his mind, and so we hear French hip hop. Like that was also mm-hmm. important that he's sort of leaving Memphis behind a lot of ways. And like, you know, my thing was like, well, he probably would meet people in class that would be like, hey, have you heard this? Or because when I went to go to Paris to to scout, they they were sharing hip hop, French hip hop with me. And I was like, oh, that's really dope. Like that should be what he's listening to over here. Like maybe some people in his class are like, you, you need to be up on this. And to me, so that was important just to always immerse you in like the world in which you were in to me was important. You know, music. Right. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the the scenes um that whole uh the whole montage of him um being in Paris because it's this overlay like number 1 he's already sort of like this outsider in the white wor- in the wine world and then you have this other layer where he's now this African American who's now in Paris and having to yeah. interact with with black Parisians because I I think we you know when we think about the black diaspora there's usually this feeling that, you know, African-Americans, that Black Americans are like the default of Blackness. And we we sometimes have sort of like this, um, we don't see the fact that that the that the diaspora is is so expansive, you know, that, that, yep. right, right. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, right. to me that was important mm-hmm. too, because I mm-hmm. felt like, again, in a lot of like, you know, like, I feel like I've never seen a movie and I'm not trying to tout like my movie is that movie, but I was like, I've mm-hmm. never seen a movie where like black people go in Paris or th- those types of, you know, London, where it's like, not like a spy movie, 
you know, where it's like, <laughs> that's like, why, I feel like white people get to go like as good as it gets, you know, Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson in Paris and Bridget Jones Diary, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, like, you know, Woody Allen, you know, and, uh, you know, Midnight in Paris and, and Under the Tuscan Sun, you know, we, like, white people get to go like all these, and we get to go to like Atlanta in a movie, you know, <laughs> and it's like, that's cool, <laughs> but like, you know, we, like, we travel, we, we're, we go, all, you know, my, like, I have friends that have gone over the, all over the world and, and you never see this, you never see that reflected in like American movies. And so to me, it was very important to see this, this, this black man doing things that white people do all the time. We just like ride their bike through Paris or, you know, go to museums. I was like, you just never see that in, again, American movies. And I just felt like, yeah, like, yeah, that's what we do. And also, I also wanted to show like the black parts of Paris because I, to your point, like I think the thing is like, oh, there's not black people there. And like, there's black people everywhere. And I and and I didn't want to comment on it. It was just what it was because I didn't want to lie. I didn't want you to watch the movie and go, "Well, Elijah's the one black person in Paris." Okay, well, I'll believe it for the mm-hmm. movie. It's like, no, nah, we're everywhere. He's riding his bike to the black parts too, and there's black parts in you know in London, Paris, Rome. I mean, every, everywhere. There's a, there's a Crenshaw Boulevard everywhere. So to me, that was <laughs> uh, important. Important to see. Oh, I love that. Crenshaw is everywhere. Um, I do have a question from, from um, actually one of my Twitter followers, uh, Carolyn Hines. Hi, Carolyn. Um, she has a question for you about the aesthetics okay. and the tone of the film. Um, she says, to me, the colors are very muted and made me think of the different colors of wine. There's a lot of burgundy, soft grays, blues, and browns. Most of the bright colors come from Nisi's wardrobe. So I wondered if that was what they were, if that was what you were going for, um, as far as carrying the theme of wine into the visuals. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we absolutely did, uh, especially with Elijah. Like we wanted to play with a lot of like monotone, like monochromatic colors. Like in my lookbook, I was like. I always wanted you to sort of feel like these sort of navies, these sort of grays. And, and some of it was was happenstance. Some of it was we were filming in the wintertime. So naturally, you know, originally the movie, I always saw the movie being a summer movie, but I love that it ended up being a winter movie because I don't think you typically associate that type of imagery with the South. You know, I think when people think, people think of the South, they think of, you know, how it's hot. But I don't think people think about how it's cold and gritty typically mm. you're not from there and so to me that the, the grittiness and the texture just became so much more interesting and so obviously you're getting a lot of like blue like kind of like muted blue skies you're getting you know naturally it's we were shooting it also in like you know october november so you're also it, some of it you're just kind of getting natural fall colors right so you're getting like plums and burgundies and browns and and things like that so we really just leaned into that more especially once he got into the wine world um and so just but but yeah that was a a big thing of what we wanted to do wardrobe wise once we sort of realized the time it was that we were sort of kind of going to be playing in those in the color in that color palette but yeah no, that's right. super smart of her to pick up on it <laughs> yeah um so now that you've 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 had this experience where you've you've directed your first film and written your first film how has that changed your creative process going forward how did you feel that you changed as a writer as a director after after doing uncorked oh i think it changed changed completely how i will write a scene now because a lot of times when you sometimes as you write scenes you're you're i think a lot of times writers and i'm not saying every writer but this is how i would think sometimes too is like you're trying to physically you're trying to think about like how the scene shapes out as a shape you know in terms of information who wants what, where the conflict is coming from. But you're not necessarily thinking about visually how does this look, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you're not really thinking about the visuals in the same way. 
And so to me, it's really shaped. It, it has only in, enhanced in a lot of ways. I think like sometimes if I'm like, like yesterday I was working on a project and I was writing a scene and I couldn't figure out how to start it. Um, it, because I was like, oh, are we going to know this? And I, and I understood what had to happen in the scene. But once I said, I, I asked myself, how would I shoot it? And I, once I asked myself, how would I shoot it? Then I figured out how to write it because I saw, oh, this is actually much more interesting if you like just hear the character, but don't see them yet and then reveal them. Right. And so that, so like it's changed it's changed how I even approach the scene. Like visually, am I doing, am I writing a scene that visually becomes just as interesting as the words that are happening? Am I, am I writing it from that standpoint, from a visual perspective as well? Um, and so for that, it's made me, um, and, and that actually happened this year on, on as I was uh, running Insecure this year, of, of I was constantly thinking about, well, visually, what is that gonna look like? Or visually, is that the best way to tell this story? Or is there a different way to do that? And so I, I think it's only, and enhanced my uh, uh, writing from from that standpoint, a hundred percent. Right. So, as a writer, how do you overcome writer's block? Do you experience writer's block, and and how do oh, you, how do you overcome that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, literally, like that example I just gave you is a perfect example. Was I did have writer's block? I couldn't figure out how to do the scene. Like, I just couldn't figure it out, and it was really frustrating to me. And so I just kind of took a step back and said, "Well, again, if I was going to shoot, I just started asking myself other questions." And I think sometimes. You know, sometimes you just got to step away from it. Sometimes I go to YouTube. Sometimes I just be on some, you know, what's on World Star Hip Hop right now? You know, just some nonsense. You know what I mean? Just to like break up my mind. You know, just to right. like have a different thought for a little bit. Because sometimes you can, you know, stew on it, and you're getting more mad at yourself that you're not coming up with this genius right away than you are mm-hmm. with like. So I've just learned like sometimes go for a walk, kind of listen to some music, kind of just do nothing, step away, come back in an hour. You know, it might, you know, something you might see on TV or something something somebody a conversation somebody might tell you you know oh it gives you an idea because your mind isn't thinking about it like when this there's this game i play called like it's like a crossword like like a word puzzle game and sometimes i'm at night and i'm like why can't i get this word and i wake up the next day and i'll go oh it's it's lightning <laughs> you know and you're just like oh because <laughs> i i wasn't obsessing about it i kind of had let it go and it was fresh eyes my in my mind just figured it out so 100 percent all the time so i try to like if I'm really struggling with it, I just have learned to walk away. Like there's some reason why it's not connecting and it's not my job to like force it to connect right now. Mm. Um, so what have been some of your binge watch guilty pleasures or what, what TV shows are you watching right now? Um, what TV shows I'm watching? Uh, well, I mean, I watched Tiger King like everybody else, which was insane, obviously. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I, I love watching like white people who are like, like what if that was with black people like that would just be in, insane and so i just like watching like quarter white people go nuts uh right. and uh but i'm super uh into into succession right now i was behind yes. but now i'm like catching up which is yes. obviously such an awesome show um, yeah i call it mess, messy white drama i love it it's messy it's <laughs> the, like it's, it's the like it's the bougie tiger king it's like the yes. first that's, a, like, that's exactly well, it, it yeah it's like if tiger tails people had money and they were from new york um they're ruthless to each other um let me see what else am i watching i'm trying to think uh i mean it's like a lot of people like i'm watching you know one thing i'm doing right now that i will say like I'm, i wouldn't say like i'm binge watching or watching this way but the one thing i'm trying to do is like watch um use this time to also watch a lot of other directors um, like their body of work. Like one thing I'm doing right now is like I just finished watching like all the Coen Brothers movies in order. 
and I'm like moving on to like other directors just to see like how do they because I'm just trying to learn more as a director right now so I'm trying to step more into like oh why did they make that choice so this was their second movie what did they do different by their fifth movie you know how did they and how did they you know how did they improve so that's something I'm really doing a lot right now great alrighty well thank you so much Prentice Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creators of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, we chat with actor Mamadou Ache, star of the Netflix original film Uncorked, written and directed by Prentice Penny. Welcome, Mamadou. How are hey, you? Thank you so Hi. much. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Friday. So how are you holding up under this quarantine? You know what? Um, I, I, I'm fortunate everyone, uh, I have some friends that unfortunately contracted the virus, but everyone's like, okay. And, uh, really that's the only thing that's important. You know, everything else like boredom is, I, I'm happy to be bored. You know what I mean? That's the worst, <laughs> right. that's the worst of it. So it's right. all good. I can't complain. Good. So have you been catching up on like TV, movies, reading? Like, how have you been passing the time? Uh, I was catching up on a lot of TV and movies, but then I made the mistake of buying a PlayStation 4. Ooh. Yeah, I made a huge mistake. No, no, no. This is not a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) I've been playing this Spider-Man game like it's my job and it's got a hold on me. So I gotta gotta cut this thing loose as soon as I beat this daggone game. Oh my goodness. That's great. That's great. So, I mean, first I want to ask you, I know your your family is from Mauritania. Is that the pr- correct pronunciation? Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. So, what does your name mean? What does Mamadou mean? Does that does that have a specific meaning? Uh, actually it does. It, 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 mm-hmm. mean, <laughs> uh, it means the exalted one. But um, look, Ooh. I had nothing uh-huh. to do with this. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but like, you know, you got to talk, take that up with my mom. Actually, I think it was because somebody helped us out, like, like helped us out, like saved our lives. Yeah. Uh, and they named me after him. So, but yeah. Wow. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Great. So you were, so you were born in Mauritania and then you came here. Yeah. I was there were... and I came here like when I was five months old. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay. So you were, um, you grew up in, in Maryland in New Carrollton, correct? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I lived in Maryland. I, that was by like I think that was the Orange Line, right? Oh the, yeah. Where would you live? Uh huh. Oh, oh god, it was years ago. I lived in New. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was New Carrollton, but it was like I remember I I had to take the bus to the metro, so it was like a five minute ride. It was like a ten minute ride. Yeah, but I remember New Carrollton. Oh wow, nice we were walking distance then for sure. If you're only ten minute ride, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Okay. So. So when did you decide or when did you know that you wanted to go into acting? Uh, I went through like three different phases in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I only finally got truly serious my final year of grad school and I still had some learning to do, but that's a long time. Let me just break it down. Uh, (laughs) This is such a silly story, but it's the truth. Um, So when I was about four or five, I was imitating my sister, literally repeating everything she, like every profession she said she wanted to do 
and she was getting annoyed with me and I got bored with the game and she happened to stop at actor and I stopped at actor and I was like, I guess I'm being an actor. What? <laughs> I know. And here we are. Right. No, but then, yeah. but then, um, you know, of course that doesn't like mean anything. Um, but I, you know, it stayed with me and I, it just seemed like, I didn't know anything about acting. I wasn't really involved with anything in the theater when I was growing up. I like, I was in some, I was in the drama club, but I only did like two things for them and I wasn't committed. I'd rather have done anything really else that was like fun with my friends. But uh, I somehow convinced myself that I wanted to be an actor, even though I didn't know what it meant. I went to this school and um, I was a horrible student. I was just like having a good time in New York, wasting all this money. And um, yeah, no, yeah. But like, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because they didn't invite me back in. And this was a school that I'm not going to put them on blast, but they invited like everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, you know, Um, and they didn't, the fact that they didn't let me back in was a huge wake up call. And I ended up going to this wonderful place called the William Esther studio where I fell in love with acting in a really legitimate way. Um, But I felt like, I didn't have everything that I, I needed because I didn't, I didn't take all the classes there. And it was more about like, you know, just the acting and some of the voice stuff there, but I, I'd go and see plays and I'd see things and I'd see like some old Juilliard students and NYU grad. And then I heard about Yale and I heard it was like a completely like essentially free school. And I saw some of the students there and I was like, I can't do that. Like I can't do what they're doing. I know I'm talented enough. At least I mm-hmm. think I am. At least I'm delusional enough to think I am. <laughs> but I can't do it. And then I got obsessed with it and I got in. And then my final year of grad school, this is where I realized I wanted to be an actor. This is strange, but I um, I did this beautiful play that changed my life called The Visit. And it was about this, uh, this fictional town. And it was really just about like money and people and greed and morality. And the way people would stop me in the street was different from other plays. And it, it's because it, it it was useful and it had like a kind of um, uh, utility in society, I felt like. And I was like, oh, this is the kind of stories that I want to tell for the rest of my life. And this is how I can do this until I'm 80. And this is why I want to be an actor. So right. sorry about the longer gone <laughs> explanation than you asked for, but that's the yeah. true full story. No, well, I, you know, it's interesting because I know that like we have quite a few um, black actors that that are like alumni of the the Yale Drama School. I know, I think Brian Tyree Henry mm-hmm. went there. Um, I believe uh, Yaya Mateen. That's one of my best uh, friends. Oh my, you and Yaya know each other. Okay, because we were- I was like, yeah. We were just hanging out social distance wise yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And it's funny because he he has a movie out on Netflix all day and a night. We literally just watched that last night. <laughs> it was it was so good. It's yeah, so good. It's great. like a really, a really intense movie. So yeah, that's yeah, really you, there's a lot of good a lot of good talent coming oh, out yeah. of Yale Drama. Oh yeah, Winston Duke. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Oh, Winston Duke, that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Another, so do you guys so do you guys like have like a group chat going on, sort of like a me black female you know, alumni? I <laughs> yeah, thought so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the three of us. But yeah, hopefully that expands soon. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it's good. It's good That's time. great. So do you remember, do you recall like your first acting role, like your first legitimate acting role? What was that like? My first legitimate, like outside of school? Yes, outside of school. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It was at this theater that just closed down 
um, due to um, COVID-19, um, I just read about it like two days ago. This called this place called the Secret Theater. It was my first audition after William Esper Studio. And it was like Henry V. And I was playing like one of the smaller supporting parts, but I was really excited. And I took it as like a good sign. That I was like, oh, I booked my first audition. This is going to go great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I found out. <laughs> Then I found out the truth, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was a crazy experience. I was working with two of my best friends, and um, we we definitely didn't do it right, but um, we had a great time, and it's one of like my most cherished New York memories because I just learned so much and had such a good time with my buddies. But uh, great, yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there's been this discussion, um, you know, that um, it it started a couple of years ago where, you know, uh, the movie Get Out came out. Right. Uh And then, you know, it was that whole thing where, you know, Samuel Jackson was talking about Daniel Kaluuya. He's a black British Mm, actor. And, you know, there's just been like this ongoing debate that, you know, black British actors are more classically trained than their black American counterparts. And I was just like, how did. Like, have you have you been uh, like abreast of that conversation? And seeing as you are a classically trained actor raised here, um, do you have any thoughts about that? Or where do you, where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that stereotype comes from? Um, I do think um, naturally the English have a better facility of language as it is their language. Um, right. So, like, I think that actually I think a lot of people uh, don't take that into account because that's a very... I mean, the voice and like your speech is such a important storytelling tool, um, especially with certain writers, the, the better the writer, the more important. Um, that said, I mean, I can tell you, like, there are 50,000 regional uh, actors in the regional theater out there that can do what anyone in film and TV is doing and better. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, it's a matter of opportunity as opposed to, um, you know, talent. Because uh, right. I, I just, I know them. You know what I mean? I grew up with them. I, I trained with them. I've seen some of the best actors I've ever seen, period, in some of these schools. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I, I never really pay attention to, to that because it's so ludicrous that, yes. <laughs> there's a, that there's a, like, there's a particular region that's pumping out, amazing, like, you know, I love English actors. Like one of my favorite, my favorite actor is Sally Hawkins. You know, oh, she, yes. she's incredible. She's, she's everything to me. Her, Joaquin and, you know, my buddies from school, like, you know, Yahya, I, I really loved watching him in school, Winston. Um, but uh, to, to say that there's a particular, I think there's certain things that people can appreciate more. I think there's certainly different kinds of uh, things that certain regions are predisposed to lean into stylistically which is mm-hmm. even even that feels kind of crazy to say because everybody learns from each other and everybody's like kind of it's more of like a mixing pot now. I don't think like I think the uh, idea of a British training program uh, in America the way it is now is outmoded. They don't do it like that anymore. They're they're very they're actually quite emotional, <laughs> you know. Right. But they also have the ability of language, and I and, but I've seen that here time and time and time again. I just haven't seen some of those same people get the same opportunities. And and there are people in the UK that don't get to cross over to America in the same way or to film and TV. So you don't you don't fully see the the full breadth of opportunity and spectrum of the UK actors. You know, you see some of the, the best actors that come over are, are uh, you know, 
get the opportunity because they are the best, you know, so that's what mm-hmm. you see and that's what you, rep- that's what, what's represented. But I, I think I've answered this question. I'm just kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm no, no, I'm... On. sorry. It's just, I've heard it so much about it. And it's, it's just, it doesn't matter. It is. Yeah. Cause you know, what's interesting is like, even like, you know, you'll, you'll hear interviews with like black British actors. Right. And they'll be like, Oh, which actors did you look up to? And like the top, actor that they'll mention is Denzel Washington yeah, who is black American and classically trained so it's just like it's okay it's and, it's, <laughs> and it's divisive and it doesn't help like I, I think I think everybody there are good actors and bad actors everywhere so mm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know yep. like I've, I've met some of the best actors I've ever seen from really bad schools and some of the worst actors from some of the best schools so it's like it doesn't matter right right now, now, if you want to argue, uh, like, you know, a cultural, like, like there's uh, some cultural things that you can't really identify with, uh, that's a whole other thing that I'm not even going to step into. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. So, let, so let's talk about Uncorked, um, because I, I saw it like a month and a half ago um, when it opened. And I got to tell you, like, number one, just when Prentice Penny had announced that he was doing this movie, the synopsis just sounded really great. It was like, oh, black people in wine. That's something we don't usually see um, in movies because um, Sideways is actually one of my favorite movies. I love oh, that. Oh, cool. Movie. I love Paul Giamatti. I actually did a play with him in school. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. So um and you know the the trailer came out and then yeah, I I watched the movie and you know it was like I it's like this great mix of like comedy and drama. Is is this great, you know, drama about black love and family, but it also has um it's very funny times, but it's also very dramatic and it gets really deep mm-hmm. uh really quickly yeah. and you're like, "Oh my god." Um so how did you come to this project? How did you find out about Uncorked and was there an audition process? What what went into that? Oh, yeah, Prentice was not just going to give me this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it was just like a Skype. Um you know, things were, uh, I guess, going pretty good. And, um, you know, I guess I was on the list. And so we had a Skype and I, I loved talking to him. I mean, you spoke with him. He's, he's a great guy. He's hyper intelligent. Like so loquacious. Like he just, he's an exciting person to be around. Mm -hmm. And so like, I had read the script, but like, especially after talking with him, I was like, I gotta work with this guy. And I want to have a like, or working relationship with this dude. Cause he's going to, you know, like just the way we're talking about film and movies, we're, we're just very much aligned. Um, and so then I eventually, like a month or change later, like I, I think that something I was doing conflicted, but then they shifted. Anyway, I ended up auditioning and I booked it and I was, you know, super excited. It, it, the, it, the, the script just made a lot of sense to me on the page and the thing that I really loved about it is that he just wanted to tell this like really simple, beautiful story about a black family and this young black man who wants to be a sommelier. And mm-hmm. that's, and, and the, it's, it's so messed up, but that's kind of a revolutionary act still. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So like, but, but that's what drew me to it and his writing and like him and everything. And, you know, I was very fortunate to have booked it. That's great. So how much did you know about wine? Before you booked the role. <laughs> I knew what red wine was and white wine was, and I love a good rosé. <laughs> right. Right. So what kind of so what kind of preparation went into 
playing Elijah, playing that side of him becoming a master sommelier? What kind of research did you do? Oh, right. Well, um, they, they really hooked me up. They, um, they hooked me up with, uh, well, um, Dylan Proctor, who's famous um, partially due to Psalm. Um, and so he gave me like my first preliminary, like bearings. He told me what books to get. He took me out. He introduced me to some sommeliers while I was in New York. Um, and he was just like kind of a resource that I could lean on at any moment. So that was wonderful to just ha- know that I had him in my corner. And then when we got to set, uh, we had Ryan Radish. He's a, a Memphis based sommelier who's amazing and like he broke it down to me like the grid system how it works how how it's even because i was not my goal was to just understand how it's possible to sniff a wine and be able to place its region like i didn't understand how that was possible right and and but i wasn't going to get all of that information in a month so i just need to know how it's conceivable so i don't look like a liar when i'm saying these lines and he made that conceivable to me in 30 minutes. So, wow. yeah, yeah, it, it, dude's incredible. And he was just on set, like helping with pronunciation and like, you know, you know, basic detail oriented things. And I, the movie wouldn't be the same without him, either of those mm-hmm. guys. So that's that's how we got started with the wine. And now I now I feel like I have, a, you know, beginners level, but comprehensive uh, introductory level knowledge of wine. It's It's pretty cool. Oh, that's good. And so, of course, we know that um, in the movie, his family owns a, a barbecue restaurant. Did you eat barbecue? I mean, how, was there barbecue on set for you guys to eat? Because I was hungry. I was hungry. Also, I wanted wine while I was watching no. the whole movie. <laughs> I was eating between takes. Because <laughs> they would make those ribs and like we, they were they were there, you know. So like, I'm not going to eat them. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm eating that. I got to right. eat them. It looks so good. I can't. I think about it at least every week about the barbecue in Memphis. Oh, oh my. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you guys actually shot in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shooting there. We had a really good time. Great. And so um, Sasha Compare plays your love interest, mm-hmm. Tanya, uh, mm-hmm. in the movie. And I have to say that the meat, it was like the best cute meat I've ever seen in like a rom-com in, in, a, in a romantic movie in a very long time where Tanya's character walks into the wine store and then you basically break <laughs> down the different wines comparing them to rappers I love that that was so cool um I think I think he said Jay-Z is a Chardonnay he's kind of like the granddaddy of wines yeah. and then Kanye is a Pinot Grigio with a little bit of spice to it. And then Drake, my favorite one was he, when he compared Drake to a Riesling, yeah. crisp, clean, kind of sweet and in its feelings. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. That um, so, so, I mean, when you got that, so what was it like, like um, actually shooting that scene with, with Sasha? That was so funny. I'm sure it, it was probably hard for you to kind of not laugh between takes, but it was really good. Well, no, um, actually, we weren't even thinking about how funny it was because, I mean, we'd read it like a month ago and, like, you know, uh-huh. it was like, okay, we got it. But it was right. like our first day of shooting. So I think we we're just caught up in nerves, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I was. And, like, um, you know, it was just about, like, okay, like, are we, let's, let's find the groove here. And, you know, we found it. But uh, I think that was like, that was all that was going on in my mind. Like, am I, am I messing this up? <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
So one of the things that I really loved about Elijah and Tanya's relationship is that Tanya, she was like this very loving and supporting girlfriend, but, Mm. you know, she was, she was tough on Elijah, you know, like there were times where she would, you know, kind of tell him, listen, you need to suck it up and, you know, go after your dream. And, um, I, have there been any Tanya's in your lives or when you think about your own personal life, which women have been in your life that kind of pushed you the way that Tanya did? Oh my God. Uh, I mean, I got to start first with my mom, you know, mm-hmm. like my mom, my mom, my mom is tr- like the definition of number one fan before there was a reason, you know what I mean? Like right. when there was like every reason for her to be like, maybe you should like come back home instead of living in that $300 a month apartment and being like the de facto exterminator. Maybe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she had plenty of reason to be like, you just be safe and come home. But uh, she believed mm-hmm. me no matter like what. And I, and that goes a long way when you're starting to lose faith in yourself. Um, and my sister, my sister, Ehana, uh, I wouldn't be an actor if it wasn't for her. I mean, not just because of that stupid story, but because of all the support. I mean, she helped, she financially, emotionally helped me out when I was in school and I was like, you know, trying to work, but I was like, you know, so focused on the acting thing. Like I I wouldn't, if it wasn't for my family, particularly like, you know, my, my sister and my mom, there's, there's no way I'm an actor today. Not in the sense, like, you know, I wouldn't be working apprentice, you know? So I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm so grateful to them so they get the chief um the chief credit uh, in terms of in in terms of that uh and of course there have been other people in my life that have uh, teachers and like you know significant others who've uh, certainly helped me um but like when i if i if i narrow it down it's 100 percent them you know Right. Um, so um, also in the movie, Courtney B. Vance and Niecy Nash uh, play uh, your parents, Louis yeah. and Sylvia. And they were just I just loved it because they they felt it felt like they had like this lived in relationship. Like I believe them as as a married couple. Um, what was it like working with the with the two of them and, and um, just kind of establishing like this um, relationship, you know, with them as as your parents? What was, uh, what was that like? God, like so fun, like truly, truly so fun. I was so intimidated. Um, Courtney B. Vance is somebody that I'd looked up to for a while. Like he came to speak at my school because he had graduated there um, before, um, obviously I was there. Uh, And um, I was like really like impressed with him and like his career starting with Fences on Broadway or like actually he started regionally, but anyway, Fences to like uh, My Children, My Africa to um, Six Degrees of Separation, all these wonderful like uh, plays in the American, uh, the American uh, playwrights canon. He's just one of those guys that I looked up to. So like when I met him, I was super intimidated, but he was like, cracked me up every single day with, and both of them just had this healthy dose of irreverence that I just thought was the best way to make a movie. And, and Nisi is just one of the funniest people alive. And she's has such a warm heart and they're both so fucking good at their jobs. Pardon my language, but like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. They slam it. So it's like, everything was great. 
Right. Because um, one of the things I really found so beautiful is like that the movie establishes the relationship that Elijah has with his father, and with his mother. And, um, you know, we find out halfway through the movie that um, Elijah's mother has a recurrence of cancer, the cancer mm-hmm. returns. Mm-hmm. And that's when the movie just takes this very dramatic turn. And it was just really beautiful to see like this relationship of this black mother and, and mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the scene, there's one specific scene, this is after Sylvia has passed, where your character is studying wine. He's studying for his wine test. And then tasting the wine he just has these flashbacks of his mother and that just devastated me like it was such a beautiful scene um can you talk to me about about that scene and just kind of like establishing that relationship with nisi on screen oh well i mean i mean that that relationship between mother and son just felt so um so realized on the page you know like that scene acts acts itself when you read that scene as it's written on the page and like all the all the all the detail that Prentice put into it it's immediately moving it was actually one of those scenes that I was like I'm not gonna I'm just gonna like imagine like some of these situations that he's flashing back to and that's all the work I'm gonna do for this because Ah. it was all that it was necessary to like do that fully um because it was just so well written and and Nisi had that warmth that reminded me of my own mother um, mm-hmm. And so it's just like a perfect storm of, you know, goodness. I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's it's like really the writing and like the uh, established relationship of Nisi. And fortunately, Prentice is like a really caring director. So he, um, you know, he made a lot of space for me that day, you know, just like, hey, let's just like make sure everything's quiet. And like, you know, he really and and just him saying that to the crew and everybody it also like is a is an interesting thing because it has nothing to do with the scene, but that still is like a level of tenderness and care that really, when you're putting yourself in a vulnerable place, goes a long way and can help you get there. So I really, really always I'll never forget that day and how Prentice helped me that day. Do you know what I mean? That's really right. what I think about when I think of that scene, you know? Mm. Um, and then um, in the movie, we know that the, your character goes to Paris uh, to study uh, wine. Um, had that been your first time in Paris? Like, what was that experience um, shooting over there? Uh, it was hectic. Okay. <laughs> it was hectic. I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, it, there are certain things that you never, that you're like, oh, this is a once in a lifetime experience. And I don't care how tired I am. I'm going to force myself to enjoy this. And shooting in the neo-impressionist wing of the Musée d'Orsay by myself, well, was mm-hmm. a, well essentially by myself, because it was just crew and like some people milling about, is a priceless experience. You know what I mean? Like that that was uh incredible. I was, it was also tempered by the fact that I was like in the middle of like beginning a breakup with my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Oh my! Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was intense. She she was there, and like it was—that's a whole other story. But like shooting the movie, you know, it was it was um, it was the last week, and it was somehow the most intense week. Like the whole month and change that we shot in Memphis had had nothing on how intense that Paris shoot was. I don't. I yeah, that jet lag hit me. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Can only imagine. Yeah, because it's like it's like a six hour flight, right? Six or seven hour flight or I don't know what it is, but like yeah. <laughs> I got off yeah. that plane and went straight to set and I was messed up. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I I don't know. I don't I don't know. I just remember the museum doors saying like forcing like straight jet black coffee in and like <laughs> trying to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh well i mean did you work on your french over there like do you know do you feel like your french has improved while you were there did you pick up I, some french while you're there i pretended to you know I pretended <laughs> to. but you know both my my parents speak french but i i just i never learned it and like honestly i'm kind of glad i didn't learn it because if i don't know like my native languages i'd rather not know anything you know like in terms right. of like, like our country was colonized um, by the French and I'm like well priority goes to Hal Pilar or Fulan you know like I'm not really worried about learning French right now <laughs> I, gotta gotcha. learn, I gotta learn my people's language you know what I mean right so, so you so you speak the other dialects so what are the other dialects in Mauritania no no that's what I'm saying I, I don't know oh. any of them so like oh any of them okay so in terms of pecking order that's the thing that I feel the most kinship with mm, you know what gotcha. I mean yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, and I really, yeah, I I really loved um especially like that the that whole set that whole scene when Elijah's in Paris like it really opens up this image of like the black diaspora right is like yes. Elijah is a black American but he's here and he's a stranger mm-hmm. you know what I mean so that mm-hmm. was that was really interesting uh to see but um so did you have your has your family seen uncorked um what what yeah. were their reactions what did they think of the movie they've seen it a couple of times i think it might be their their favorite of my uh movies um wow <laughs> yeah yeah i mean well my parents are very um they they're not going to see something like patty cakes where i'm called where my character's name is bastard the antichrist because they're not about <laughs> But <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just not going to go see it. Actually, I'm right. not even sure if they know they, it exists. So, wow. Because I just didn't need to tell them, you know, I'm mean, like, ah, this isn't for you. You ain't going to see it. It's not, it's probably best you don't see this. Even though I love, 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 love that movie. Um, but they they really responded to this and they, they've been telling all their friends about it. So, I mean, I'm just happy to, that they're happy and all the fruits of their labor, they can appreciate it. So. Great. So do you think that you'll work with Prentice or do you hope that you'll work with Prentice Penny again? Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the last thing that you said. <laughs> I hope so for sure. No, um we definitely talked about it for sure, but um you know, we'll see. I I, I think he's great. He I told him he can send me anything without a script and I'm I'm there. So Fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming to the Spectrum Lounge. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It was part of talking to you. I hope I didn't uh, ramble on too, too much. Oh, no. We love rambling. We love rambling on here. Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, listeners, for another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you soon.